0: I'm Urban Hannon, the editor of The Josias, and this is The Josias Podcast, a conversation today about Blessed Karl of Austria. Welcome to all of our listeners, welcome especially to our benefactors on Patreon, and it is also my honor to welcome our special guest for today, who is in fact a relative of the saintly emperor who we will be discussing in this episode. Of course, I'm referring to Archduke Edward of Austria, whose full name and title, I learned this morning, is His Excellency Edward Karl Joseph, Michael Marcus Coleman Volkold Maria Habsburg Lothringen, but who is probably better known to his Twitter followers as Edward Habsburg. Excellency, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me on.
0: So for those who don't already know, Ambassador Habsburg is a Hungarian diplomat and is currently serving as Hungary's ambassador to the Holy See, as well as to the Knights of Malta. Um, I've been blessed to visit his embassy here in Rome, and I can assure you it is as lovely as you would expect. He is also the author of a new book, The Habsburg Way, Seven Rules for Turbulent Times. Uh, And we don't have video on the podcast, but I can see behind his shoulder uh, is... Some of the book cover there. Um, So, looking really excellent. I recommend that to all of our listeners. It was just published this spring by Sophia Institute Press. Of course, Edward Habsburg is also a member of the House of Habsburg Lorraine, the former ruling family of Austria Hungary. And at the time of this recording, as of yesterday, I am pleased to report that he is also a grandfather. So, Excellency, from all of us at the Josias, a huge congratulations.
1: Thank you very much. It's a very new experience. After having six children, suddenly the next generation comes along and you feel far older uh, than about four days ago.
0: (laughs) Well, I can assure you, you look great. I thought maybe we'd start just by talking briefly about the book that you've written. I'm sure our listeners would be interested in that. So, do you have a... I don't know, a kind of elevator pitch or a way that you're describing this book to people who might be interested in hearing what it's about?
1: I would say it's a brisk read if you want to get to know the Habsburg family. It's a nice little march through our family history, but it's far more than that because I try to find the seven core principles of our family and then propose these principles for our times today. So it is at the same time, a little introduction to the most important members of the Habsburg family, to our history, but also to our principles, our virtues, what we stand for. And I propose these things for everyone today, also for politics today. And that's more or less, it. it's not a long book. It's not um, a huge brick and, um, and it looks quite nice. Um, so i would I would rather go for the book version than the audio version, which is coming out very soon, although that one has been read by me. so <laughs> there is another attraction for that. That's the short elevator pitch for my book
0: that's wonderful. Um, I guess so you have seven rules for turbulent times here is your subtitle. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are also listeners to the Lamplighters podcast, the podcast of The Lamp magazine, where many of our Josiah's editors and contributors are involved as well, um, either as just fans or as uh, people who have written for the magazine or been on the podcast and so forth. So our listeners can go there to the Lamplighters to hear you go through all the rules um, and kind of detail um, more of this book. But if you were to pick just one, one of the seven rules for, for our conversation today, what, uh, what would you like to highlight for us this morning or this afternoon?
1: You know, um, one of the great things in my book was while I wrote it, I realized which Habsburgs uh, from the last 800 years check all the boxes, which of them check most of the boxes, and which of them check just a few boxes. And blessed Emperor Karl, uh, whom we speak about today, he checked all of the boxes in spades. Um, And when, when you go to the last chapter of my book, it's called Die Well. It's a meditation about the way that the Habsburgs lived with death, prepared for death and died, and also got buried. Um, you know, some people might say that's slightly macabre. I think it's incredibly important for us as Christians, especially as Catholics, to think about this topic. And blessed Carl, I would say half of the reason why he uh, was beatified was because of the way he died and the way he transformed his death into something so much greater. Just by being a good Catholic and uh, a humble, a humble man. So I would say, "Die Well" is the, the chapter I'm, I'm personally most impressed um, from in this book. That touched me most. That has the most touching stories, um, and it's the last chapter of the book. In in my in my opening of that passage, I say I might have put it in the first place because. Death was something that was always in sight for the Habsburgs. Um, So it shaped all of their decisions and ideas.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, there's a good kind of respice ad finem, make the final cause, uh, you know, first in a certain way. Yes. By looking to our end and preparing well for it from the beginning. So that's excellent. So speaking of Blessed Carl there, (laughs) I noticed not that long ago on Twitter, you had set up a poll um, asking your followers on Twitter to weigh in about their favorite Habsburg. Um, and our topic for today of Blessed Carl ended up being the victor of that poll. I was wondering if that surprised you, what you were expecting going into that poll. Um, yeah, what you thought when you saw that Blessed Carl was going to, to walk away with the very important victory of the Twitter poll.
1: Well, first of all, you know, us Habsburgs, we're not used to democracy and things like that. We are rulers and despots. So to <laughs> submit to the rules of democracy on Twitter was a very, a very uh, wholesome experience for me. Um, I tried not to stack the cards in favor of Blessed Carl, but I had a vague feeling that he might prevail at the end um, and for several reasons. And what I did was I, I did 16 Habsburgs male, 16 Habsburgs female. In the first rounds, you could vote. Out of four, you could get two to continue. And I just, I just did polls over several days. And Habsburgs threw out and Habsburgs remained in. I had the, 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 incredible, the incredible joy to seeing Blessed Carol throwing Joseph II out of the field <laughs> in a direct duel. And that just came about like that. I didn't organize that. So that was very good. That was really good. I don't like Joseph II that much. Yeah, uh,
0: take that Josephinism.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so it's interesting. I didn't do that. This is all the, my Twitter followers. Now, of course, I know, and this is one of, the, one of the, the, the reasons we speak about him today. Blessed Carol is incredibly popular in the United States. And I also know that my, uh, my followers are, I would say, half of them or two-thirds are probably from the United States. I never checked it. But, Interesting. Yes, I would say a large part. That's why I write in English. Um, the other thing was that his wife, um, Zita, uh, who, whose process for beatification has begun, made it to the finals in the female uh, championship. And um, she, she really, she nearly made it, but she's not that well known at this point. And she was beaten by another fantastic, gigantic figure from Habsburg history Empress Maria Theresia from the 18th century. Um, so, what I'm just trying to say, think about it, uh, Urban, think about it. You have a man who, in the eyes of the world, is the ultimate loser. You have a man who becomes emperor one and a half years from the end of World War I, takes over the empire, loses the empire, loses the war, fails twice to go to Hungary and reclaim his crown that was still his, goes into exile and dies a few months later miserably in exile. This is not your idea of a winner, of a star, of a favorite Habsburg. He's more like a footnote in Habsburg history. And many non-Catholic uh, people don't even know he exists. For many of them, the Habsburgs ended with Franz Joseph. They don't even register that there is this this nice, friendly, smiling family father with his little mustache uh, that sort of um, saw the last the last uh, eighteen months of the Habsburg Empire. So you have quite a contradiction here, and this man wins the Twitter. Uh, championship and this man I would say touches so many people nowadays a growing number a tsunami and mostly young people are uh, flocking to blessed emperor Karl are buying book about him are making pilgrimages to places where you have relics of his Um, to this to this loser in the eyes of the world so that is quite an interesting contradiction isn't it
0: it is. It's interesting what you say about Americans having this kind of affection for him. I know in Washington, D.C., um, at St. Mary's there, at Old St. Mary's, there's the shrine to Blessed Carl, and there, at least historically, has been the, the annual mass in his honor there. And I know, similarly, up in New York, our senior editor, actually, Father John Tveit, um, has celebrated the Blessed Carl Mass in New York for Various people there. Um, I'm aware of a priest on the West Coast who I visited his church once and he showed me a kind of side chapel area that he said he'd like to turn into a shrine of Blessed Carl as well. Um, So definitely, I think Blessed Carl has many um, admirers or um, those who are very devoted to him and to his intercession throughout the US, but I was also interested just for the first time a couple months ago, I made it to to Hungary, to Budapest, uh, a city I know that is near and dear to your heart and to your work, Um, and the place where I happened to be staying, a priest friend and I just had an Airbnb for a few days while we were visiting for some liturgical projects, and we were staying right off of what is effectively um, Calvin's Square, is named for Calvin. There's a statue of Calvin in the middle of it. So this is a kind of Protestant landmark in the middle of the city. But also right off of this square uh, was this kind of, not shrine exactly, but a bust of, and um, a little area set aside for Blessed Carl. Uh, and I was impressed and surprised to, to see that there. So we preferred that statue, my priest friend and I decided, to the statue of John Calvin.
1: That's okay. Um, although when you're in Hungary you have to learn to appreciate uh, the power and also um, the zeal of um, the Calvinists they really they love their Christ they love their cross and they speak about their faith uh, sometimes with much more courage than many Catholics do Um, you would have if you would have crossed the Danube and went up on Castle Hill and you would have gone into the Matias Temple this beautiful beautiful church where Blessed Emperor Karl was crowned as Hungarian king um, on the 31st of December, 1916. Uh, You would have seen a relic of Blessed Karl there. Um, You see, in Europe, this is beginning, but as you don't have huge families with strong Catholic faith all over Europe, but we're still in a bit of a cemetery here, um, it is not as vibrant, strong, and gripping as it is in the states, I've been to Dallas. And there's a, a a guy called Ross who does a conference every year, and he he gave a we made this conference in a hall with 700 people, and we spoke. There was me. There was also Athanasius Schneider. There was Charles Coulomb, who wrote a brilliant biography of Blessed Carol that you should read. Uh, very readable indeed, and. There were 700 people in the room. Most of them were young, many children, many families with lots of children, at least 50 babies. Um, that's incredible. And you don't know how often when I make a tweet about Blessed Carl on Twitter, I get direct messages from people saying, we love Blessed Carl. Um I get, I get emails and direct messages from people who want to set up a, um, a, parish, a parish altar to Blessed Carl and asked me how to how to get a relic. This is something very touching. Now, the, the good question would be, Urban, why? Why do the Americans go for Blessed Emperor Karl? Why do they love him so much? Why is he such such an attractive friend to Catholics in the States? Uh, while in Europe, people are still rather critical of him, if they have even heard about him.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think? You know, being over here, so I've lived in Europe for two years now, um, and I'm going to be living here for the foreseeable future. It's interesting to talk to Catholics in Europe who have a perception of the United States, especially the church in the United States, as something that's just so much healthier than, like you said, the kind of cemetery that unfortunately is often the state of things on the side of the Atlantic. Um, And obviously, there's a way in which that's true, and living here has also made me appreciate America and American Catholicism much more than uh, I maybe had before I had this experience of finding out that many faithful Europeans are very impressed and even envious of the state of the church in America, the witness of the bishops, um, the witness of families, and so forth. But one thing that I think is sometimes difficult for Americans or American expats over here to help our European brothers appreciate is just how striking it is for us to come over to Europe and experience a place where even if unfortunately people are not getting married or baptizing children um, or attending mass on Sunday, etc., Even still, even in such a poor state of the practice of the faith in many places, you are surrounded all day, every day by reminders of Christ, by reminder of his mother, by reminders of the saints, by reminders of the church and of the history of the church. And that happens in so many ways that people don't even think about. And in America, we have really nothing like that in the majority of places. I mean, if you're in a Boston or a New York City or a New Orleans in somewhere that's still very walkable and had a great immigrant culture and has many old buildings, etc., cetera, you'd have more of a taste of this. But in many places in the US, even where the church is very, very healthy, I think of, I grew up largely in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston in Texas. The Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston can't build churches fast enough, it seems, to have places for the Catholics around the archdiocese to worship. And priests are so, so busy um, because their parishes are so, so full. And that's wonderful. But if you go around Houston, which, by the way, you have to do in a car because everything is 16-lane freeways to go from one strip center to another, everything that you see there is just this very bland, flat, disposable, um, consumerist. Very new thing. Um, None of it's very beautiful. None of it has any history or tradition. And unless you actually drive to a church, which you're rarely going to pass by accidentally, um, you're not going to see anything that points you to Christ. So, all that just by way of background to say that I think that sometimes Chesterton is right that the saints who most contradict our age or our culture are the ones who sometimes. are most important for our age, are the ones who most often will be the ones to show us that in this moment, the thing I need is the thing I least have. The thing that I want is the thing that is farthest from me. So, Chesterton, of course, talked about this with regards to Francis of Assisi and Thomas Aquinas, um, that, you know, Francis was the contradiction to this kind of joyless, stuck-up period in our history, and Thomas to this kind of mindless, um, follow your heart sort of period, whatever. But in our particular moment in America, it doesn't surprise me that Blessed Carl becomes a kind of symbol of the thing that we know we need, um, but at the moment we really don't have much contact with. Americans, especially American faithful traditional Catholics, are becoming much more aware of the context that is necessary for living that out in its fullness. And of course, this is so much of what we stand for at the Josias, right? Bringing Christ back into every part of our lives, including our social lives together, including the political dimension of our lives, and having Christ be at the center of that as well. And so to have a Blessed of the Church, and a fairly recent Blessed of the Church, like Blessed Carl, have been an emperor. Yes, as you point out, not a quote-unquote successful emperor in worldly terms, but nevertheless an emperor and a faithful Catholic to boot who is exercising his regal prudence, who is exercising his care of his family— always as a Catholic first and foremost, and in a certain way ruling from his knees and loving his family and guiding them and ruling them from his knees. This is so different than, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but you know, President Joe Biden, or for that matter, President Donald Trump, um, it's a witness that is deeply, deeply moving to us in Blessed Carl because I think it taps into the thing that we're most aware we do not have.
1: So I would say two things to that. One of them is I totally 100% agree with what you say about the invisibility of faith in the streets in the United States. Uh, living here in Rome, of course, is pure luxury. Because if you when you walk through the streets, you have um, an image of Our Lady at every street corner. And you live for years in a place and you discover new and new and new images around you, and they invite you to prayer. It's very simple. But it's not just in Rome, it's everywhere in Europe, everywhere, even in the non Catholic parts of Europe. You would have visible signs of faith. You would have uh, sometimes just a cross somewhere, in the Catholic parts, a crucifix. what you have in Austria, for instance, where I lived for many years in the countryside is that halfway between villages, when you go cross country, you will find from the 18th century, an image of Our Lady. Because people who were rich in the village would make a donation for such a stone image of Our Lady, put their name under it and hope that people would pray for them when they walk by every time. Because, of course, in those times, people still believed that you needed prayer um, to get to heaven. And um, you couldn't just slip over by dying. Um, So you're absolutely right. Uh, In the States, this is the thing I miss most. I can't, while I drive or while I walk, look around and see our Christian faith in in everyday places. Except, of course, if I get into a car and drive to a church. Um, So I would encourage Americans to... To put an image of Our Lady um, at the fence of their property, for instance, or uh, to pay for a nice little, um, st- they call them Martel in Austria. It's like a little little stone monument with, uh, with an image of Our Lady inside. And um, this is something we have in Europe and you don't have it in the States because you had a very intense and short Catholic time in the beginning before um, uh, the Mayflower people came. Uh, in, the, in the beginning, the American history was Catholic, and nobody. The part speaks. of
0: American history that unfortunately is not taught to school children. except but, if yes, you indeed. if
1: you own Charles Coulomb's fantastic book, um, Puritans Empire, absolutely to be read by every American, in my opinion. So that's the first thing. Yes, you're absolutely right. The second thing is, I also think this is the main reason. I feel that over the last few years, more than ever, Americans has, have lost confidence in their. Political leaders and in their politicians. Um, and someone like Blessed Carl, who is 100% upright, 100% clean, 100% um, humbly subdued, subdued to God and his will, uh, never thinking of himself, living for his country, offering up his sufferings for his country, for his countries. This is incredible. This is very attractive. And Americans are, in my humble opinion, built like that. Americans want leaders that are upright, that say what they think. That, you know, America is built like that. You're built on that you can shake hands on something and then it afterwards it's valid. And we've lost a bit of that. And Blessed Carol seems to be something of that that has perhaps gone gone lost a bit. Um, over the last years.
0: It's true. It's definitely true. In terms of Blessed Carl here in Europe, do you see anywhere where there's devotion to him, a kind of spontaneous um, devotion of the faithful or faithful reaching out to him for prayers or anyone building any shrines or anything? Or is that really at this point limited to an American context?
1: No, there are shrines to Blessed Carl, mostly in the capitals. Um, sometimes in other places. I honestly have to say that I don't know sort of the latest developments and you would have to speak to someone of the Gebetsliga, um, of the prayer league uh, of Blessed Carl to find out what exactly is happening. I would know in many European towns where to go if I would want to find a, a relic to pray in front. Um, but there is nothing compared to this explosive uh, turning to Blessed Carl, I, I never receive a, uh, an email or a direct message from a follower on Twitter in Europe that tells me my parish wants to set up a Blessed shrine hmm. Because in Europe, we don't have um, a culture of traditional Catholicism, of traditionally minded Catholics. Um, as I say, there are a few places. People know where they are, but there is not, I, as a, far as I can tell, a great growth. Um, people are discovering Blessed Carol. I think social media, YouTube, Twitter are playing a role and I think this will change but it will only change when the faith situation in Europe changes. Blessed Carol is something like an indicator of a healthy development in faith. When faith comes, Blessed Carol follows uh, something I would say.
0: Very, very good. Um... Maybe we could talk a little bit about Blessed Carl's life. So you've given us a a bit of an outline already in terms of the kind of timeline or um, the historical moments that Blessed Carl is known for when he is known. um, His becoming emperor, um, his ceasing to be emperor, his uh, various exiles and attempts to reclaim um, the rule uh, of his rightful territories. But in terms of what makes him a blessed of the church and hopefully one day a saint of the church, in terms of his Catholic life and his being a Catholic ruler, what did that Catholic life look like for him day to day? What were the things that were pointed to in the cause for his beatification that caused people to say, this isn't just a great ruler who happens to be a Catholic, but this is somehow a great Catholic. Um, This is a great saint and someone that we ought to raise to the altars.
1: Well, he was to use a much abused word nowadays, a really devout Catholic. And um, Blessed Carol didn't have the, the, best, the best surroundings for a good start into his Catholic career. His father, unfortunately, was a womanizer. He drank very much. Uh, he was a people who shocked, um, who shocked his cousins by doing terrible stunts and he treated his his wife who was very devout very devout um, princess of Saxony he treated her really badly so right there this should have been the end already because we know what an important role the father plays for the faith of, of children yes but uh, but blessed Carl from the beginning was really devout um, from his first communion from his childhood rosary if possible, daily mass, daily prayer were part of his life and shaped him, uh, all of his youth. Um, and when he finally was ready to get married, and, and, and he was young when he got married, and he was young when he died. It was a, it was a, a very young love story and young marriage with wonderful blessing of children. Um, he married a woman that also lived the Catholic faith. Uh, from the core of her being, he was a Catholic, she was a Catholic. You know, of course, the famous line when they got married and the evening before, she he told him, now we'll have to help each other into heaven. And uh, this was his idea of Catholic marriage. They loved each other very much. I mean, she was a beautiful woman, but she was a strong-willed woman, highly politically intelligent, and uh, but she was also a wonderful wife to him. They loved each other very much. They, they shared everything. She was um, a very close counselor to him. Um, but when, when you go back to his daily life, he used all the, all the little crutches in spiritual life that we have abandoned nowadays. Um, he, uh, he was a great dev- devotee and his wife too of the Sacred Heart. He wore a Sacred Heart medal on his heart, he had an image of the Sacred Heart whenever he traveled, when he traveled in train to go to the trenches in the First World War when he still wasn't emperor, but only um, heir to the throne. uh, He always traveled with an image of the Sacred Heart and with a little bottle of holy water, um, which he always had with him um, and he always used it. These are things that help us. Uh, Unfortunately, in the 1960s, uh, many Catholics Thought so that we are grown up now and we don't you need this childish, uh, probably um, old fashioned stuff anymore. Because we don't need this anymore. But the Blessed Carol was very aware that you need the help of the Rosary, holy water, and images of the Sacred Heart. He had a great friendship um, together with his wife, uh, with Franz Ferdinand. Franz Ferdinand, who was the heir of the empire before him. And uh, Franz Ferdinand was a devotee of the Sacred Heart. Franz Ferdinand was on the fourth of his First Friday devotions when he was assassinated in Sarajevo. Yes. And uh, they found also the, the medal of the Sacred Heart on him when, they, when he had died. And um, both of them had strongly uh, engaged in Catholic activities. Together, both together, for instance, thought that um the monastery of venerable magdalena the only other venerable we have in the family except for blessed Carol, um venerable magdalena was a abbess and a nun and a great woman i, I wrote articles about her and she's also in the book her monastery of course uh, had been abolished by my wonderful um habsburg not ancestor joseph ii mm-hmm. and uh and it was Franz Ferdinand and Blessed Karl who together lobbied with the Emperor to bring back uh, a nun's order into that monastery and restart uh, adoration there. Um, so they were really Catholic. They were really Catholic. And uh, Blessed Carl's Catholic faith influenced his politics, his, um, the work, social work he did in, in, his, in his, his empire. Strongly, strongly, um, his idea about monarchy, his idea of his duties towards God. Um, He had been crowned King of Hungary. Um, He had been um, uh, with holy oil anointed. He never forgot this for his life. And at some point he was approached by representatives of the Freemasons when he was in exile. And, uh, and they offered him his throne back if he would allow masonry in his empire and do one or two other things. And and he said, I've taken my crown from the hands of God. I can't take it back from your hands. Wow. Uh, very, you know, Catholicism shaped everything he did from his birth to his death. And what, what a strength. I want to say something else here. I have the impression from talking to his grandchildren that when they met, they were both Catholics, but Blessed Karen was further along on the path to holiness. Mm-hmm. He more or less pulled his wife behind him. And I mean, when he died, she still had like 70 years of life in front of her. Wow. Uh, yes. So so it was like he gave her the acceleration for her entire life to become a saint too but it was him who was rushing ahead with giant steps you can tell that by you know by one detail when um when he lay dying in madeira um empress zita you you would imagine her accepting humbly the will of god that he was dying but she was not she was furious with god. Mm. furious she 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 gave that to protocol to the postulate she said I didn't want to accept this. I was furious with God. I had so many plans with him. I had such a wonderful life for me. He couldn't die now. He couldn't do that to me. So you see, for her, it was still a path. He was already there a few weeks before his death. Uh, he he stood um, in his exile and he looked up to the church and and he said, yes, yes. And later on, she asked him, "What, what did you say there? And he said, I've offered my life to god for my people and when he lay dying he offered his suffering and he suffered terribly he offered his sufferings for his people who had just sent him into exile he offered his suffering for them and i sometimes say were it just that a few political leaders nowadays would take him as an example were it that we had political leaders like him people who were ready to lay their life down for their country for their people um That's why I hope that many politicians discover Blessed Carolyn and become friends with him because this would would change our political
0: life, I see. Absolutely. Yes, that would be incredible if we could have some American politicians who had any interest in him, but certainly any participation in that kind of Catholic ideal that he lived out. In terms of his marriage with... Impressita. For my edification and the edification of our readers, who might not know much about this history, how did they get to know each other? Was that an arranged union for them, and they were given this and committed to each other? Or did they meet each other at some point along the way and choose each other for marriage? What did that look like in the Habsburg family at that point?
1: Well, we weren't in the 17th and 18th century anymore, where you had Absolutely as good as no choice uh, about whom you were going to marry, but you were mostly married off um, with a little bit of asking. We were now uh, in the 19th and 20th century and many Habsburgs married for love. Um, They had met several times in Austria because Zita's father had a a castle in Austria, not too far away from where uh, Karl was often as a young man. So they ran into each other a few times. They appreciated each other, and then um, um, Emperor Franz Joseph signaled to Blessed Carl that he should get married. And Blessed Carl, in a very short time, decided that he wanted to marry her, and uh, then uh, proposed to her. So, so you see, it was it was, a, it was a, a marriage out of love, not not an arranged marriage. And, uh, and that's a good thing, uh, although I, I, in my book, I strongly say that, that, yes, that arranged marriages might have been a terrible thing, but um, many of the Habsburg marriages, even if they did sometimes not marry out of love, went really well because they married people who had their values, their faith, um, their outlook on life, their idea of family. And this is, this is even more important than what we call love. Uh, for a marriage to work, I'm married now since uh, 27 years, and um, congratulations! And nearly 28, come to think of it, and I can tell you that what what really gets you going, apart from being able to pray together, is uh, is if you have the same values, the same outlook on life, the same idea of marriage. This is what carries you through all the difficult times. So yes, that that was, and and then what I think is very important, Urban, is. Uh, not only the Twitter people voted for Blessed Carl as favorite Habsburg, but I also asked them, I made a poll on our WhatsApp group with my Habsburg um, nephews and nieces once, asked them who is their favorite Habsburg, I suggested a few names, and of course they, they all voted for Blessed Carl and I asked them why, and one of my nieces said something really nice. The, she said because uh, in a way he showed us how easy it is to become a saint. You know, he didn't go to the North Pole and preach there. But he he lived his marriage to the full as a Christian and and his fatherhood and, uh, and his life as a Christian towards Christ and his job, which happened to be emperor. He filled it with his faith. And everybody can do that. You don't have to be a Superman to do that. This is something you can do. And I think... Uh, the main reason why he got canonized in the end was, I'm sure, the way he accepted death. We can all do that. We can prepare our life long for our death. And we accept it the way God sends it our way. And uh, as somebody once said, even if you lie on your deathbed and you're paralyzed, you can still pray the rosary, you know. Um, Blessed Karl showed us how with very little... Um, extraordinary steps you can fill your entire life with your faith and become a saint um, and as I said he didn't go to Mongolia uh, to preach he did it in his everyday life and that's why I think also many people nowadays flock to him it's in every life he was married he had a job and he tried to be a good Christian in his everyday life and uh, that's why he for me is such a hopeful hopeful character because it's something we can try to do too. Of course, without grace, we can't do it, but we can try in our life to, to do what he did.
0: That is incredibly hopeful. Um I have to admit, though, I'm still just reeling from the revelation that there is a Habsburg WhatsApp text. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, I don't want to keep you too long here, Ambassador, but do you have any kind of final words about Blessed Carl or for our listeners that you'd like to leave us with here today? Get to know him.
1: The best ways to get to know him is read a good book about him. There is two books I would highly recommend. Anybody who wants to get to know Blessed Carl to read one of course is Charles coulomb's English biography about Blessed Carl came out 2 years ago. It's immensely readable. Um Just as a caveat at the beginning, Charles Coulomb, whenever he writes a book, always begins by one chapter about the history of the world and one chapter about what empire is. Uh, This is quite a steep climb at the beginning. Um, Take your time, read it, because you need it to understand where he comes from. So this is a book I would strongly recommend to everybody. The other one is a small little brochure that you can order on the internet uh, from the Blessed Carl Prayer League. It's called "Death of an Emperor." It's a small little booklet. You can read it in one and a half hours, and it just uh, outlines the last weeks, months, days of of the life of Blessed Carl and the way he died. Even if I just think of it, um, I I my my, my throat shuts up because it's so. It's so emotional. This book is incredible, written by the people who were around him when he died. And reading that, you understand that this man was really a saint and why he was a saint. Um, so that is a good way of getting to know him then. Um, go on the internet, Google, and find the closest place where a relic of Blessed Carol is kept. And to go on a pilgrimage, visit him. Visit him, find a priest who will say a mass at the, at the altar, and uh, that's a good way and then and then say his prayers if you go on the home page of the prayer league blessed carl you find it on the internet prayer league Blessed Emperor carl uh you know print yourself one of his prayers one of prayers and ask him to become your friend i really can't recommend it enough um to mostly to people who want to be family father and get married but also to priests. He's an incredible friend. He's a humble friend with a lot of sense of humor. And uh yes. So those those are my suggestions. I would also suggest um get to know Empress Zita. Um it's still not that easy because uh, her course is just beginning and there is no current uh, biography that you can read in English. Charles Coulomb is writing one as we speak. Oh, wonderful. So we'll I didn't we'll know have that. We'll have a biography of her too in not too, too far a future. With her, watch her YouTube interviews. I got to know this woman when when I was a boy. I had the chance to meet her, to talk with her, and to ask her questions, and uh, she was gracious and wonderful. Um, but l- listen to the, the YouTube videos where she gives interviews. Even if you don't understand the German, just listen to her voice, to her language, to her body language. Um, this is this is this is an empress, and a very strong woman. Very strong woman. Um, you could feel uh, gentleness, but under it you could feel there was iron <laughs> and a very strong faith. Everything was directed towards faith in her life. And uh, but meeting her, you meet him, of course, because the two had very much imprinted on each other. So that would be my suggestions. And of course, finally. Follow me on Twitter, hang around my Twitter account. Um, I, I still have an, a manageable number of followers, so I can still react to direct messages. You can reach out to me. I will here and there and from time to time also speak about us, Carl. And um, yes, that would be it. Wonderful. Thanks for your interest, Urban.
0: Oh, Absolutely. And we will go ahead and take some of those things you've just recommended, there, Excellency, and put a list of hyperlinks together that we can post together with this episode, so that our listeners can find um, Columbus' biography and some of those interviews, which I've never seen with Empressita on YouTube. Sound wonderful.
1: Also, also you can you can you can link to two to a YouTube talks that I gave about Blessed Emperor Karl. They are on YouTube. I spoke twice um, about uh, his two trips back to Hungary where he tried to take back the throne and, and you get to know him quite well there too. So this is something that you can also take a look at.
0: Absolutely. We'll make sure we also give our listeners uh, the opportunity to find your book, The Habsburg Way. We'll put the appropriate links to that. Um, and we thank you so much for being here with us, Ambassador. Um, thank you especially to taking the time in this great week in your own family's history um, where another generation has been added to the illustrious Habsburg family tree. So truly, thank you. Yes,
1: thank you very much for having me on your wonderful, wonderful show.
0: Well, we'll go ahead and end it there. Thanks also to Joe Barnes for producing this episode. He's not here right now, so he can't say hi today because we're recording this during his American Workday, but we're grateful to the work that he'll do on this this weekend. Hi, Joe. Thanks also to Jonathan Colbreth for our music Thank you to all of our listeners, and thank you especially to our good benefactors on Patreon. If you enjoyed this episode of the Josias podcast, and you would like to hear more like it in the future, please head over to patreon.com slash josias to help make that possible. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook if you don't already. Check out our law blog, Use at Justitium. And find us, most importantly, at thejosias.com.